It's December 9th, 2020. Welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First up, we'll have Takaho Iwasaki, who's here to tell us about the upcoming Island Innovation Demo Day. And then we'll be joined by John Cummings and Molly Pierce from the Sitting County of Honolulu. We'll talk about Oahu 1, or actually 1 Oahu, and the COVID-19 surge testing uh, but before we get to that, I want to welcome Takaho back to Bite Marks Cafe. She's here to tell us about the upcoming Island Innovation Demo Day. And, of course, that's happening tomorrow. But welcome, Takaho, to Bite Marks Cafe. Hi. Aloha. Now, Takaho, you know, the, the last time I went to Island Innovation, it was like probably like two years ago. <laughs> and, of course, yes. uh, I, I think there was one in 2019 and then uh, and then. Or was there one in twenty nineteen? And then and then of course, you know, twenty twenty we got we got COVID and now now it's like uh, all virtual. But I'm glad to hear you're you're marching along and, and, and pulling this off. It's happening tomorrow. So tell us, what is Island Innovation Demo Day? Yes, so Island Innovation Demo Day is the pitch competition, a pitch event to focus on island innovators, island startups. Last year, when we did the first year Island Innovation Demo Day in 2019, as you saw, we have succeeded a lot to bring a lot of good voice to Japanese investors and corporations. And then we were planning to do the same one, the physical event, on uh, May 2020, uh, with as a, having a which is Japanese biggest agency, as a partner this mm-hmm. year. But as you said, the COVID happened, so we had to cancel, and so we switched to the online version. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, the the whole idea behind Island Innovation is really kind of connecting some of the uh, local startups with, with uh, uh, Japanese connections and, and Japanese investors. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Actually, we call this as a project. We call it an Island Innovation Project. Mm-hmm. So we have other events. Also, we introduce Japanese startups and then technology to Hawaii market. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also, we, as we do uh, tomorrow, uh, we introduce Hawaii startups to Japanese market. Too. And and over the time that you've uh, you know been been organizing this project, I mean, have you ha- any stories you can tell about the uh, companies that have gained some traction? either the Japanese companies here or, or Hawaii companies in, in Japan? Yes, um, there, there's a lot of stories happen. Um, I mean, the one of the startup pitch uh, last year, they got an actual uh, investment from Japanese angel investors. And some of the um, startups went to Japan to seek the opportunity to do the joint venture with Japanese companies. Um, so it happened. Uh, actually, a lot of synergy happened, but unfortunately, those synergy kind of slowed down because of the COVID. Because mm-hmm. we can't go each other. Mm-hmm. But I think by doing this online event, I can accelerate those um, bringing synergy again mm-hmm. between Japan and Hawaii. So, so uh, tell us who who's going to be doing their demonstrations uh, coming up tomorrow. So we have a private startup uh, from Hawaii. And then actually through three of them, uh, alumni from mm-hmm. last year, mm-hmm. uh, Shaka Guide, Box Jelly, Ecoponics uh, are going to pitch again this year. But then I really want I really want to have them at this event because they pivot their business or they 
expanded the business a lot for a year. So I want to show how they can grow their business or uh, quickly pivot the business uh, because of the COVID to the same audience in Japan. And and is this uh, event open to open to anybody? Anybody can uh, yes. view. Great. Yeah. So if you Google or if you look for the website alaninnovation.com, uh, you can find our event bright site. Uh, the registration is free, so please feel to register. And the registration will close tomorrow. Uh, the event will start at 3 p.m. tomorrow. 3 so, p.m. And then, it's, uh, yeah, and it's it's yeah. only like an hour and a half. It's a it sounds like a really uh, fun fun event. And and uh, you know I can I can definitely I'll put up the uh, link on our show notes for later on tonight. But uh, you know, yes, so please. what do you, what do you Google? Just go Google what uh, Island Innovation. Yes. If you Google, just Google idolinnovation.com, you can find our website and you can go to our registration. Well, great. Takaho, you're doing some great work and, and it's great to you know talk to you again and, and you know just connecting between Japan and Hawaii. I think it's a great idea. So good luck with the, the demo day tomorrow. And I'll, like I said, I'll, I'll put that up on our show notes for later on. Thanks, Takaho, for joining us. Thank you. Mahalo. And, of course, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by John Cummings and Molly Pierce from the Sydney County of Honolulu. We'll talk about the COVID surge testing and one Oahu and, and the, the thought that goes behind all the process to actually accommodate surge testing. So that's coming up on Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now I'm happy to to have join us, not in the studio, but calling in John Cummings from the Department of Emergency Management and Molly Pierce from the Office of Economic Revitalization over at the City and County of Honolulu. And, of course, they're here to talk about the One Oahu website and the COVID-19 surge testing. And I want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thanks for having us, first. Good to be here. Now, you know, uh, John is one of those regulars who I have on every time we enter into like a hurricane season and all the uh, emergency yeah. preparedness. And, of course, he's, uh, he's one for all the great uh, um, not only gadgets but uh, ways of, of, of things like cooking under the sun and heating up your water. <laughs> and <laughs> he's, I mean, but, you know, John, I got to tell you, I, I, I miss having you come into the studio because – and of course, I, I miss having to, uh, you know, having see you at the, over at the Pro Ridge and, and doing the uh, emergency preparedness uh, fair that they have over there. So that's always a fun thing. But uh, I'm glad to have you and Molly uh, back on the radio show. And and in this case, okay, so uh, when we're talking about uh, COVID nineteen, I mean, obviously that is a a uh, I don't know. I mean, a natural disaster, <laughs> and 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 it's good to hear yep. that the Department of Emergency Management kicked in and and really is is uh, involved. And uh, maybe what we'll we'll start off doing is you know giving people a little uh, brief on on what your respective uh, organizations do. So Molly, Molly, tell us. I know that the Office of uh, Economic uh, Revitalization is is sort of a pivot from the Office of Economic Development that uh, was. Uh, Part of the city, right? So it, it kind of got renamed and, and kind of refocused. So tell sure. us a little about it. Yeah. yeah. So the Office of Economic Revitalization, um, actually, it goes even farther back than that. Um, in March, when we saw that 
you know, we were really going to be hit by COVID here. Um, I was working um, along with a bunch of other folks in the city's Office of Climate Change, Sustainability and Resiliency. Um, and we really started leaning into, into that idea of resilience. Um, and as, as an office who, who had some capacity, um, myself and a few others got together um, with, with leadership and we put up, I put together the website um, and some folks put together um, a call center and an email response team that has since grown, um, seeing those real needs from the, from the public has since grown into the idea of that Office of Economic Revitalization um, that's really trying to take, you know, not just bouncing back from COVID, but really seeing how we can take this as an opportunity to improve things within our, within our island economy and our island infra infrastructure to make sure that the next time something happens, we're more prepared. Um, so I think it's a really nice natural evolution of things that were already happening in the city um, and proving that we can pivot when we need to um, and, and turn, on, turn on something that I think has been a pretty valuable resource. So, so Molly, you said that you're uh, uh, part of the uh, Office of um, uh, what Climate Change and Sustain. You know, I can never <laughs> remember what Josh's, Josh's so, office is. Yes, the longest name of an office in the city, the Office of Climate <laughs> Change, Sustainability, and Resiliency. Right, right, and and so when you when you mentioned the website, was the website? Uh, are you referring to One Oahu? And and did the website yeah. um, pre pre stage the Office of Economic Revitalization? So it's, it's interesting. The, the content that's on the Wanawahu website is, was all created um, when we realized we needed to stand something up for COVID. Um, but the, the Climate Change Office, uh, which is kind of a shorthand for Climate Change, Sustainability, and Resiliency, mm -hmm. um, I was running the Resilient Oahu website at the time. So I already had some web experience um, and I was, I was working with the mayor's communications team. So we were able to take kind of the web hosting accounts and things for the Resilient Oahu site and pretty quickly pivot and create this one Oahu site as well on that same kind of backbone. Um, so it was, it was utilizing already existing kind of accounts and infrastructure so that we could do it quickly. Now, I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to John, but I, I do want to ask you this question before I, 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 I launch into the questions with John. But, you know, the, the, sure. the one Oahu and... and um, the resilient site that you mentioned. I mean, they're really pretty nice sites, and they, and not to take in, take anything away from the uh, city and county's website, but uh, I remember when I was there. I mean, there was like a pretty much a standard template that you had to use, and so it's it's sort of a uh, you know a stock a stock <laughs> format. Uh, but uh, like uh, one Oahu is is really nicely laid out. I mean, how did you go about doing that? Did you do that? Uh, you know, I guess independently, or, or how did you create the, the new image, the new look? So it was a little bit of a case of um, do now and ask forgiveness later. Um, but we, we pretty quickly realized that in order for people to understand that something was new and something was changing, that we needed to lay the information out in a way that was really it was appealing to them and it was logical. Um, and there's a lot of constraints um, in the city's website just from the nature of it having been around for so long. Mm -hmm. It's got a ton of really good stuff in there, but it's, it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a dinosaur in terms of its structure. Um, and we wanted also to, and both with the Rosalina Oahu website and with the One Oahu website, we wanted to make these feel more... User-friendly? Accessible, yeah. <laughs> if you have something that's got the city seal all over it and it says .gov, it, it becomes... It's a less personal interaction, mm -hmm. um, and so we wanted this everything that we were doing to feel really 
really comfortable for people when they were coming to look for something. The same thing goes with, with our call center, which we have available. Um, it's actually open seven days a week if anyone has a question um, about anything um, COVID-related or really, at this point, any other city service um, and some state ones. Right. Um, <laughs> folks can call us, seven, my staff, seven days a week. Um, we're open on the weekends. Um, and then we also have an email address. So we wanted to just give people as many opportunities to get information as possible because we knew that they were, you know, everyone's scared. It was a crisis that no one had expected. Mm -hmm. um, and trying to lay something out and give them a new place and something that felt connected and that kind of concept of one Oahu. We're all in this together. We're going to try and find a way through, um, I think was really powerful and really important to not be, here's the city telling you what to do, but here's where we all can get together and find a way through this. You no, know, no, I think you guys are doing a great job. Now, John, uh, Department of Emergency Management, uh, I, I, I fondly remember uh, you know, working with you. Uh, and when, when, you know, when the COVID uh, pandemic kind of hit, I mean, at, at what stage of the game were you guys kind of uh, really brought into the picture and said, hey, you know, we got to kick into, into high gear and, and address this just like any other uh, natural disaster? Early in March, uh, we, we looked at the complexity, the effects, the impacts, we could see it coming across the United States at the time, as, as everyone else did. And we uh, quickly realized we had to manage this like any other imminent or, or, or uh, pre-disaster type situation, even though it being a pandemic. Uh, I will tell you, in my 30-plus years of doing this work, this has been the most different <laughs> event that I've ever worked on. I, I know it is for everyone else. But uh, we decided at that point, you know, we'd have to activate our EOC, mm -hmm. uh, run it like any other disaster, bring responders and anyone else from the state or city we needed to help us uh, manage it. And, uh, you know, uh, look at the information we're giving to our residents, making sure that's current. We have a lot of information to uh, delve into from the federal government side, from the CDC, a lot of information coming from the state DOH. So that was the first part of it was information management. Then we started getting into the surge testing programs themselves, and that, that was another game changer, too. Now, you know, from an emergency management standpoint, I mean, there's always the disaster preparedness, and then there's the the response and recovery. I mean, did you take those same principles and, and really kind of apply it to the, the whole COVID-19? Of course, you know, we're, it's you know, one thing with a hurricane that it comes and it goes and you kind of have a fairly well-defined start and, and finish right, and then right. there's recovery. Uh, but then with the, with the pandemic, I mean, this thing has been going on for the, the better part of the whole year. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's a slow burn type event. It just keeps going every day. And, it's, and you know, everybody's aware of it. Everybody's it's visual. Um, it changes all the time. You know, the, the rules, of how we respond to it, how we protect ourselves are, are updated on an almost weekly basis, right? So um, I, I want to say, again, kudos to Molly and Wanawahu. Uh, they really helped uh, provide our residents with the most updated information here on Oahu on what they can expect, where to go for testing, what's happening with COVID-19, current information. Uh, and it's just really been one of the best things that happens since buttered bread, that, that website and that uh, <laughs> operation being run. The support, it really is, really is. Because our side of the house, the response, that's the mechanics side, right, you know. Um, and we talk about the surge testing program. Uh, we had surge 1.0 in uh, September, and we just finished with surge 2.0. Now, that, that program there was actually not just one department agency. It actually was managed by what was called the Honolulu Incident Management Team, HIMT, which actually included our office, police, fire, ESD, Emergency Services Department, and also um, the assistance of the Hawaii Army and Air National Guard and also a group of 
outstanding medical professionals and the Kahumalam nurses. We all, they all got together. We all got together to say, hey, we have the surge testing program. This is our goal. We have to respond to our residents, make them safe, get them tested. So it was a real huge team effort that's still ongoing. Mm-hmm. And so how would, how would you uh, differentiate between, you know, Surge 1.0 and 2.0? I mean, I, this is, I, I'm, I'm only now hearing about this, but, you know, what was, uh, what was 1.0 and, and what was it that uh, really created the 2.0 version? Well, you know, when the uh, Department, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services uh, said to um, the county, hey, you know, we're going to give you, um, you know, 70,000 tests, I think was the top number. They said, okay, let's, let's do this, right? Mm-hmm. So Surge 1.0 ran for two weeks. And if you remember, it was on the news every day. And that had a goal of, of testing 60,000 residents. I think um, by the time we ended that operation on the 15th of September, I think we topped 60,000 residents. So... Since we did such a good job with that, uh, DHSS said, hey, um, if you would like, we'll leave you another batch of surge testing kits mm-hmm. that you can utilize for another program. And that's what became 2.0 when we started on October 17th. Oh, so, so 2.0, how many surge tests did you have uh, for that uh, uh, program? The, uh, approximately 28,000 tests were, were given to the city and county of Honolulu. Now, and I, uh, by the time we, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Uh, I, I, I want to ask. So, you know, I want to understand the, the the thought process be, behind going and and setting up for a surge test. I mean, there's there's got to be a whole bunch of log- logistics that take place. Yeah. Again, no one agency, no one department could have handled this. It was a team effort. There, you know, um, the uh, first responders in our office. We looked at uh, the uh, logistics, you know, identifying the sites taking care of the traffic control, uh, looking at how we're going to get people to those sites and informed about them, uh, how they get people to sign up for the, the testing itself. Uh, the Army and Air National Guard, they provide a lot of the, uh, the boots-on-the-ground labor to actually get these test sites open and operating every day, mm-hmm. keep them functioning, sign people in, and close down. And, of course, our medical professionals at the Kahumalama Nurses took care of the that actual testing and working individually with our residents during that process. So again, it was a it was a daily team effort. It was like build the village, run the village, you know, close the village down at the end of the day. And uh, at the high point, we were running as many as five testing sites per day around Oahu. Was uh, was the testing that took place uh, on H three was that something that was also incorporated into uh, you know this surge one or two that was Surge 1.0. That was the two-week run we had. Uh-huh. It was 60,000-plus tests done. Um, the focus for 2.0, uh, what became at this point in October, was that, hey, you know, we have visitors coming back. We have our residents going back to work to support our visitor industry. And then we have our residents living in areas like Waikiki where there's a lot of visitors coming to. So we said, hey, let's start 2.0 to look at making sure our, our workers and our families are safe. They know they're safe. And also our residents in areas where there are a lot of visitors, make sure that they feel safe, that their health is being taken care of, and they can find out you know, how the city is doing and its health in general. So that was the focus of Surge 2.0. Got it. So, you know, I, I, I do want to uh, go back to Molly and kind of understand how the uh, connection between, you know, what she helped develop with the website kind of uh, feeds into the actual tactical work that takes place on the ground. So we'll hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with John Cummings and Molly Pierce from the city and county. We're talking about search testing and one Oahu. This is Bite Marks Cafe. 
Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian Motor Experts, and Hawaii Naturopathic Retreat Center. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum, and if you're just joining us, we're talking to John Cummings and Molly Pierce, both from the Sinning County of Honolulu, and we're talking about the COVID-19 surge testing and managing this uh, this whole process over a long period of time, as well as scaling it so that it uh, accommodates thousands of, of tests. And, of course, right before the break, uh, John was uh, explaining some of the sort of day-to-day kind of uh, activities that go on just trying to plan whether it's surge 1.0 or 2.0. And, and Molly, I wanted to ask you, you know, in, in terms of uh, understanding the process that, that all these players uh, are, are involved in and, and perhaps the leveraging the web as a way to get the information to, to sort of pre-stage any of the, the people that want to get tested. I mean, how does, how does that process actually work? I mean, is it, is it just a matter of your... Uh, you know, hanging out with them day to day and understanding what the process is, or uh, where's the linkage between you know what you got to do on the web and and what they do from a tactical on the ground standpoint? Sure. So it was it was actually a a real experience of of learning between surge one and two, um, one point and two point mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um, in the first in the first round of the surge, we really were able to rely a lot on that media coverage because it was a short, heavy spurt. Everyone knew what was going on, and people knew to go to the site. They knew to get registered. But we learned a lot of lessons where we knew we needed to have a more personal touch for that second round because it wasn't going to have the same sense of urgency that the first one did. So in, in setting up the page for the second round of surge testing, we actually put a much more user-friendly calendar up, um, and that was that was very useful. That came out of DEM. Um, Aviella Weltman over there was able to get all the information um, updated and inputted so that it would update on the website automatically um, so that people had one place to go to get when, where, mm-hmm. what, how, FAQs on what to do before, during, and after, before they had to go into the actual registration site, which was a different website that we at the city didn't have control to make changes to. Um, it was part of the broader federal um, search testing program. And so we wanted to make sure that by the time someone got to that site, the do I need a COVID-19 test.com mm-hmm. website, that they'd already had an under, they already had an understanding of what they were getting into. Um, so it was working with all those departments that John mentioned to really make sure that we had all the information that your average person would want to know, need to know, or might get asked about um, so that they were prepared not scared and ready to get that really important surge test. And and John, you know, on on your side, when <clears throat> when people are actually now showing up to where the surge testing is taking place, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what I from what I understand, I mean, when they go on the website, they actually sign up for a time, but when they get to the actual uh, test site, uh, it. You know, it's not like a a strict thing that they you know if they if they came a little early or they came a little late. I mean, you're right, still right. Accept, accept, accepting everybody, right? So it was pretty seamless. I mean, from what I gather from the people I've spoken to, uh, it wasn't like uh, oh you didn't you know you don't have your appointment so you can't come now. I mean, it, yep. it was like everybody yep. was accepted. So that that was uh, that was really interesting. 
Yeah, we accommodated everyone. We even stayed open late at some of our sites to make sure if there were people in line, we were going to service them, even if it went beyond the, the time frame. In fact, the last day, uh, we had so many people in line, one of a couple of our sites ended a half an hour late. And we had over 3,400 tests administered on the final day on the 30th. So uh, the bottom line is, you know, we wanted to make sure that we had good customer service. People understood that the test was fast, was medically observed, um, uh, you know, um, safe and um, efficient. And I think everyone understood that. And the uh, response from our residents was outstanding. But, again, really the key to this, to the understanding of it for residents, was the information that was up on Wanawahu. That mm-hmm. FAQ section, the daily calendar, the Molly uh, mentioned that, that people could go to because, the federal website was good for registration, but it didn't really go into a lot of detail what to expect and why we want you there. And that's where Wanawahu came in. Now, now you know, Molly, the um, uh, Wanawahu is still up and running, and and uh, the um, I guess the, all the information is is still there. Uh, John was telling me that the surge testing, uh, I guess, pro- process has actually ended because uh, that's the the limit of the the surge test kits that were available. Uh, do you do you envision like a uh, I guess a three I mean, and I guess I'll, I'll toss that to Molly first, and then John, you can sort of fill in. Well, I'm not sure if we're going to have surge testing three I think we'll have to find out where things go at the federal level um, for something right. like that. But um, I will say that if someone someone went to the oneawahoo.org slash COVID nineteen testing page, um, where the surge testing information lived. You know, they'll actually still have access to a lot of different testing opportunities right now, um, mm-hmm. including um, free testing opportunities for folks who are um, either on or underinsured through our community health centers. All of that information is still there, um, and a, an interactive map that lists everywhere on island, regardless of whether it's paid or not, where you could get tested for COVID and their contact information. Because even if we're not doing surge testing, we're really trying to provide folks as much information to keep the test the surge of tests going, as it were, to keep people getting tested regularly so that we can really have a good understanding of where COVID is on the ground. Well, that's a, that's a great clarification. So, John, I mean, so there is a differentiation between just, you know, regular COVID testing and surge testing. Right. And so how would you, you know, uh, quickly kind of just define what surge testing is? Is because you want to get as well, many know, people... Uh, as, Molly said, as Molly mentioned, though, there's a lot of other opportunities, but the, the testing program we had from the city was specific to, uh, you know, search 2.0 was, you know, for our residents, our visit industry workers, and, um, you know, um, and also actually also for our city employees and first responders. We wanted to make sure that all these folks going back to work, inter- interacting with our visitors, uh, were safe, they knew that they were healthy, and they could go home and make their family safe. And that was, that was the surge there. Um, as Molly said, I don't know about 3.0 because uh, as it stands right now, you know, we are looking at transition, transitioning into a vaccination phase. Ah. But um, we don't, next, you know, next year, there may be some more CARES money for surge testing. and We could continue the program, possibly, yeah. So, okay, so that's interesting. So you're, you're actually kind of pivoting into a more, uh, you know, more of a surge vaccination stage now then. Yes, all, actually all the counties are working in conjunction with the State Department of Health. Oh, great. Okay. So uh, where can people, you know, sort of keep up with all the activities that you, you folks are doing? I mean, obviously the media will, will share uh, some of the, the work that uh, you folks are doing, but uh, what can people expect in terms of, you know, we're, we're out of the sort of surge testing mode, but uh, we're going to soon be expecting more activity, I guess, around uh, vaccination. Well, you know, we still have the pandemic in place. We're still concerned about that. We want everyone to be safe. And, and right now, the, the best uh, tool for 
our Oahu residents, of course, is oneoahu.org. Very good. So I want to thank you both. Uh, you know, you folks have been very uh, informative, and, and it's great to have both you and, and Molly uh, on the show. John Cummings is the Public Information Officer over at the Department of Emergency Management. Molly Pierce is Communications Manager over at the Office of Economic Revitalization. And I want to thank you both for joining me today. And, of course, thank you for listening to Bike Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we will catch up with our favorite gadget geeks. If you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR One every Wednesday or anytime via the HPR app, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You stay safe and stay awesome. We'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Music